Bible, Mark 10, 35 to 45. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink? Or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right hand or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. May God bless to us that reading of his word. Have my slides, please. So we are looking at a series at views of the cross, how we regard the cross. We're coming up to Easter, we're in the period of Lent. How do we look at the cross? What is the cross about? What did Jesus do upon that cross? And today we're looking at the prices paid and the whole idea of redemption. In 1998, a couple of criminals kidnapped a famous heiress and demanded $6 million in ransom for her return. However, the criminals made a fatal mistake. They took her to their London flat, and while they were trying to smuggle her into the flat at night, a neighbor came out the door and recognized the heiress and immediately contacted the police. And so armed police burst into the flat, catching the kidnappers by surprise. Seeing that capture was inevitable, the first kidnapper turned to the second and said, quick! Get the ransom money and jump out of the window. Jump, said the second criminal. Jump. I'm not going to jump out of that window. Why have I not, demanded the first kidnapper. I will tell you why not, said the kidnapper. Because we are on the 13th floor. Listen, said the first kidnapper. This is no time to be superstitious. <laughs> Today, we're going to look at this whole idea of what it means to be ransomed, to be redeemed. And it's an old word, and some of, a word that perhaps has lost some of its cogency in the 21st century, unless, of course, you go to the pawn shop. And the pawn shop, of course, is not a place that sells chess pieces, but in fact a place where you can loan your possessions and get a little voucher and get loaned money, a credit, if you like, on behalf of those possessions that you later intend to go back 
and redeem. You pay for those possessions. Those possessions, all the time they're in the pawn shop, belong to you for a period of time. But if you don't go back by a specified day and pay the loan back with interest, then your property belongs to the pawn shop owner and then can be sold at a profit. And if you can afford to go back, you redeem the items that you've left there. You pay the, 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 the ransom uh, amount plus credit or an interest and you take back that which then again becomes yours to keep. Redemption is the verb and ransom's the noun of that price that's being paid. And we still use the word ransom, of course. You know, when we have kidnappings, we talk about a ransom demand. It's a word we still use, but not perhaps very often in the modern day and age. And in Mark 10, we find this picture of redemption coming into the conversation of Jesus with James and John. And here in these 10 short verses, we see all too clearly the clash between man's thinking and God's thinking. The disciples were still a long way of grasping just what God's kingdom was about and how it was going to be achieved. And perhaps there's those amongst us this morning who don't fully understand the role of the cross. What is the cross? Why did Jesus die on the cross? The problem is we have a problem with our vision. You see, human beings are fundamentally selfish. Richard Dawkins even called a book The Selfish Gene. We are fundamentally selfish, fundamentally short-sighted. We can very rarely see beyond the end of our nose. We are unable to see the truth. So we find these two men, James and John, the sons of thunder, come up to Jesus and say, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Two words sum up their request. We want. We want. And James and John were scrabbling over the rights, showing us, but they did not understand what salvation meant. They didn't understand what it was going to cost Jesus to bring about salvation. And so he, he directs their warped understanding to God's concerns. And he says in verse 45, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, our key interest is so often ourselves. That's why there's no toilet rolls in Audi or Asda. That's why there's no um, pasta, because everyone's gone and grabbed as much as they can for themselves. Forget about everyone else. Let's not be reasonable. Let's panic and think about me. It's all about me. What we want The problem is many people, including the disciples, fail to understand the true nature of affairs. What we need with God is not a discussion about what we want, our rights, but a conversation about what we need, our freedom. We need to be redeemed. You see, we quite literally have sold out. The Bible says we've sold out to doing wrong and going our own way, what the Bible calls by that very old word, sin. And so we're no longer free. We've given ourselves into sin. We've abandoned ourselves, our control to sin. We've gone with what we want to do, what we feel like doing, rather than what we should do. 
There's a wonderful passage in John 8, verse 31, where Jesus says this, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves to anyone. How can you say, then we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. Jesus makes it clear that we have no rights. We have become slaves because we sold ourselves out to sin. We're in bondage. We don't need rights. We need release. We need freedom. The key here is Redemption speaks about freedom. But redemption always requires freedom at a price. This is not deliverance that's been spoken about here. Deliverance is very different. Deliverance can happen without a price. Redemption always means a ransom has to be paid. And we have wonderful pictures in the ancient world about redemption. Greek and Hebrew word pictures, for example. The Greeks had a great way of referring to, to talked a lot about redemption. And it's often used in the whole concept of warfare. And was seen in the capture of ransoms uh, of soldiers. War was very expensive. And therefore, when the Greeks went in and they won a battle, they then would go around the battlefield collecting all the precious items they could find on the dead bodies of the troops. But also, they would round together all the prisoners. And those prisoners would become slaves in the Greek Empire. And amongst those slaves, amongst those prisoners, there was always going to be some noblemen, people of high birth, who would have rich families, who would be willing to pay a ransom to get them back. And so what happened is they would get a big list of all the people that had been taken prisoner, and they would get heralds that would go to the conquered cities of, of the army and would read out these lists of people saying that these people are alive, they've been taken prisoner. And there will be an offer then for people to bring money, gifts of money, to pay the ransom to set those noblemen free. But it ransom had to be paid. Just because you're a noble person didn't mean you would get released. If you didn't pay the ransom price, you'd remain a captive, a slave of the Greek Empire. And so it was used of this idea of being ransomed, of being bought and paid for by your family and released back into freedom. The other great the picture among the Greeks was the idea of slavery. But what was fascinating with the Greeks is that there was an ability within Greek culture for a slave to buy their own freedom. And this was quite remarkable. And what they would do, they would save up during their lifetime all the coins and gifts from their master or other people. And eventually, if they had enough money, they would go down to their local temple and they would pay that money into the temple treasury. And what they were doing was selling their slavery, their, their, their life, to the god of that temple. And then they would go back to their house and get their master, and their master would come back to the temple, and the priests would witness that the god of that temple, whoever god it was, okay, the idol of that temple, he would then, or he or she, would buy back the slave from the master, and that money would be taken from the temple treasury and given to the master... And then that slave belonged to the temple god. But then they used to engrave in the wall, redeemed for freedom. 
redeemed for freedom. And then that person was let go. And their name and the date and the witnesses of the priests and the slave owner will be all engraved in the wall of that temple. But this slave, their life had been bought by the temple God and they now belong to the temple God, but they were released or redeemed for freedom. In other words, they could never go back into slavery. That was the whole idea of redemption found in the, in the Greek culture. It was quite incredible because then the slave belonged to the temple God but they were released back as a free man or a free woman within the community. And if any person questioned your freedom, you could take them into the temple and take them to that wall and you could show them the date and show them the name that you were redeemed by this God. That was a very strong concept in the Greek, uh, Greek, among the Greek people. And then we have a very strong picture of redemption in the Jewish among the Jewish people. A very beautiful picture. You remember, of course, the wonderful story of Ruth. And you'll see here the whole idea of the family obligation. Within the Jewish culture, what would happen is families were very large and you could be redeemed by another family member. That family member would be called a goel in the Hebrew, which literally was a kinsman. You've heard of the idea of kin, a kinsman redeemer. They would buy you back from the person who you sold yourself into slavery. There was no national health system and, and no um, uh, social system, social services, in, 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 in three or 4,000 years ago. So in the Jewish culture, if you began to fall upon hard times, what you could do was sell your freedom, your service, to someone, and you'd become their slave. And you'd work for them, you know, for as long as they want. You often work off a period, like seven years. But if a family member heard out about it, they could go and redeem you. And this is what we find in the great book about Ruth, which you hear about when Ruth, and she finds her kinsman, her relation called Boaz, and she's there, she's gone from her own nation, she's gone to serve in another nation, looking after her mother-in-law, Naomi. Her husband's dead, Naomi's husband's dead. Um, she's the only person caring for um, for, for her mother, her mother-in-law, in a foreign land. And she catches the eye of Boaz. And Boaz is a relationship, a relation to Naomi. And he is Naomi's kingsman redeemer. And he buys the right to marry Ruth. He becomes her redeemer, her kingsman redeemer. It's a beautiful story. Speaks about Christ, how he buys us back. And this whole idea of buying back um, and taking on the responsibility by the family was, was very strong in the Old Testament. So, for example, if a, if a family member had debts and had to sell themselves into slavery, you could offer to pay the debts of that person and buy back that person's freedom as their kingsman redeemer. And the person who had the rights to that ownership, the slave owner, could never refuse you under Jewish law. They had to give you the right of buying back that relative and giving them their freedom. And so we see in the, uh, in the Old Testament this whole picture of redemption. We find it as an act of grace. We find it in the sacrificial system. In the sacrificial system, every animal, the firstborn animal of a flock, had to be given to God and sacrificed. That was the law. But certain animals weren't allowed to be sacrificed. For example, the common donkey. 
Common donkeys were greatly like the Ford Escort of the ancient world. That's how people used to travel around and keep all their possessions. But you couldn't sacrifice a donkey. The firstborn of, a fl- of, of donkeys had to be sacrificed unless you bought and redeemed it with the blood of another animal. And that animal had to be a lamb. And you could buy the life of a donkey by sacrificing a lamb in its stead and the donkey would be free from that because the ransom has been paid. And then there was the ransom price. If a farmer, for example, there's an illustration given in Exodus chapter 21, if a farmer has a, 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 a big a bull and he doesn't chain that bull and someone is gored to death by the bull, he's therefore meant, he's been warned already because the, 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 um, the, uh, the bull is dangerous, he has to chain the bull and make sure the bull can't do any harm to anyone. But if someone else walks across that field and the farmer hasn't taken his responsibility seriously and has left that ball in a dangerous condition and that ball escapes and kills someone else, not only is the ball to be killed and the meat never to be eaten, but the farmer's life is also forfeit. The farmer is to be killed unless he pays a ransom price. And that ransom price is given to the family of the person who died. This whole principle is very key in the Old Testament. A ransom needs to be paid. A ransom, a price, a death sentence is hanging over the head of the farmer unless he or someone else pays the ransom. So we get the picture in the Old Testament and in the ancient world that redemption is about freedom, but freedom at a price. It doesn't come cheap. And when we treat our faith cheaply, we are throwing back the love and the cost of our salvation in the face of God. Because our freedom doesn't come cheaply. It costs the very blood of the only begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, man is enslaved. Man is enslaved. We have a price on our head. We have screwed up. We've done wrong. We don't own ourselves. We've sold ourselves to sin. And for the disciples to be concerned over who was to sit where in heaven shows they didn't understand where they were with God. And this is where we and those disciples so often go wrong. We think that salvation is something for us by right. And it's not. And we live in an age where we're all well informed about our rights. One of the things that surprised me on Friday is when they closed the Swiss border. People were quite angry um, with the the travel organisation. And it was nothing to do with them. But they felt they've got their holiday by rights. They're upset. I want to go skiing and I can't go skiing because the borders are closed and because the cantons are closing the ski resorts. That's a reality of life. We haven't got those kind of rights. I read in the paper some time ago some very genuine, these are genuine um, holiday complaints given by basically people who've gone on holiday and feel that their rights are being overlooked. And these are, these, these are genuine ones who've been written to a very famous um, co- commercial um, holiday company. So these, this is the kind of things that have been complained about. We booked an excursion to a water park, but no one told us we had to bring our swimming costumes and towels. 
On my holiday to Goa in India, I was disgusted to find that almost every restaurant served curry. I don't like spicy food at all. Another person wrote, It's lazy for the local shopkeepers to close in the afternoons. I often needed to buy things during siesta time. Siesta time should be banned. Another one wrote, I think it should be explained in the brochure that the local store does not sell proper biscuits like custard creams and ginger nuts. Another person complained, I was bitten by a mosquito. No one said they could bite. Another person, we had to queue outside. We have no air conditioning. Another person wrote, there are too many Spanish people. The receptionist speaks Spanish. The food is Spanish. Too many foreigners. Another wrote, it took us nine hours to fly home from Jamaica to England. It only took the Americans three hours. And my personal favourite, no one told us there'd be fish in the sea. The children were startled. See, many people are obsessed by their rights. And some people erroneously bring that idea of talk about rights, about salvation into the church. But we can't demand our freedom as slaves. It is a gift. It is, a ransom needs to be paid. And we can't pay it. No slave has the right to freedom unless he is redeemed. And we see this in the Bible, that we are slaves to sin. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Paul says we are slaves to sin in Romans 6. And in Romans 7.14 says that we are sold as a slave to sin. We don't own ourselves. We are owned by sin. We gave ourselves into sin. Sin owns us. And the tragedy is, is this master is a deadly one. Because we're owned by death. Romans 3. For the wages of sin is death. A lady once went to a famous photographer and paid a lot of money to have a couple of portraits taken. As a photographer was sat her down and began to focus on his lens, she snapped, Young man! Make sure you do me, do me justice. To which the photographer, looking through his camera lens, replied, My dear lady, it's not justice you mean, you need, but mercy. <laughs> and we too are in need of mercy. Not justice, mercy. We're slaves to sins. We have no right to claim. We are in need of redemption. But the good news is that price has been paid. I love the writings of C.S. Lewis and then that wonderful children's book about Narnia, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. He portrays this wonderfully when he talks about that heroic character of Aslan, the leader, the king of the jungle. And Aslan, of course, this mighty lion, this fearful lion, but it's so scary. He hears about Edmund, the traitor, and Edmund the traitor is owned by the witch because Edmund has betrayed everyone. He has gone the way of the witch. And as a consequence, his life is forfeit. And so Aslan agrees with the witch that he will die in the place of Edmund. So Edmund goes free. And we find in that story, of course, that Aslan goes down and is laid upon the stone table. 
And the white witch and her minions kill the lion, shave off his mane. But she doesn't realize there's a greater magic at work. And the stone table cracks. And Aslan becomes alive again as he once was. And the price of Edmund is paid. And the lion Aslan is still alive because of the greater magic of God. Redemption. Aslan paid the price. He was the ransom. And Jesus Christ is our Redeemer. The New Testament makes this quite clear that he's our Redeemer. He's the Redeemer in all three senses that we find in the Hebrew Bible. He is our kingsman redeemer who pays the price of our slavery to set us free. He acts as our family head. He comes to us as the goal, the kingsman redeemer, and he pays for you and for my freedom in his blood. That is the ransom demand that Jesus pays. And he redeems us not because we deserve it, but because he wants to, because he loves you, because you're precious to him. He's not obliged to redeem us, it's an act of personal choice and love. And Jesus is the ransom price. The price involves God, God himself paying the price of our sin. It's as if that donkey that can't be bought, can't be sacrificed, the lamb purchases the life of that donkey and we are purchased by Jesus himself. Paul uh, said in Acts chapter 20, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Jesus purchased the church with his own blood. In Ephesians 1 verse 7, Paul says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus was the ransom price. Jesus sacked himself on the cross, sacrificed himself on the cross to bring us our freedom. So we're no longer slaves to sin, but have the freedom to obey and to serve God. Freedom is the result. Paul writes, for sin shall not be your master. And it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Jesus said in John 8, verse 36, If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Jesus died for you and died for me. And in a crisis like we are facing in this country and in this world about the coronavirus, don't doubt that God loves you because God gave his most precious thing for you, his only begotten Son. And Jesus gave his most precious thing for you. The only thing he could give, his life upon that cross. He chose by grace to sacrifice himself, to ransom you and me, to pay the price of our sin, to set us free and to make us free. Not just free, but free indeed. So know that you are loved. Know that you are loved beyond measure. Know that God cares for you, even during this crisis. Trust God by faith and bring that, me that message, that message of freedom from fear and freedom from sin, that message of grace and of love to this dark and needy world, a world that can only panic in the face of crisis when we have a faith and a God whom we know 
is love. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing hymn. It's number 2434 in Songs of Fellowship, Loved Before the Dawn of Time.